Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hacking HR podcast, the show where we talk about the amazing future of human resources and all things at the intersection of future of work, technology, innovation, organizations, transformation, and people. At Hacking HR, we believe that human resources can become the most important trailblazer, leading people and organizations successfully and effectively into the new reality of work and life. To do that, we must rise to the challenges of our times, shoot for the stars, and achieve our fantastic potential. During this show, we discuss ideas, insights, data, experiences, stories, and anything else that can contribute to helping you become and be a better HR leader and practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us today and enjoy the show. I think one of the key points in being able to make use of a crisis situation for growth is first really acknowledging that change is inevitable and that it's not a sign that you did anything wrong. I think this pandemic has been an excellent example of the need for change that could never have been predicted. And so once leaders can first sort of swallow that reality, then they can start moving into the issue of what is it that we've been doing that still makes sense? What were we doing that never really made sense, but it was too much trouble to edit out of the system? And what do we need to do differently? So uh, middle thing first, what is it we were doing that never really made sense, but it was too much trouble to remove? Kenneth is a PhD and Director of People Science at Culture Amp. He leads an international team of psychologists and researchers who provide clients with actionable advice on collecting, understanding, and acting on employee feedback through evidence-based methodologies. Kenneth educates and coaches the Culture Amp community and speaks to mainstream media on the strategic impact of emerging trends in workplace culture and employee experience. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking HR podcast. Very excited to have a conversation about culture, the role of HR, how to help leaders and, of course, HR people embrace the opportunities that crisis bring to us, even when so many things may be happening during that crisis, for us to be able to embrace the change and propel our organizations and our people forward. So, Kenneth, it's uh, amazing to have you with me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Trying to keep, uh, you know, the head up and and try to stay safe and sane. Of course, I think now it's a combination of both, right? (laughs) Absolutely. I think everybody's trying to figure out how to not just get things done, but keep doing it for the long term. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm very excited to have this conversation because the world has gone through uh, perhaps the most dramatic amount of change in in years. Uh, I don't think any of us has uh, has ever experienced anything like this before. And for many leaders and organizations, of course, this ha- this has become an opportunity to one go back to the basics, perhaps, and start focusing on their priorities and what truly matters for their business. Two, it's been also an opportunity to maybe reset and think differently about how to operate, how to, how to go about their culture and the different things that were going on in their companies before. Some of the companies are taking this opportunity to innovate and do things better than before. And some others are like still trying to find out and figure out uh, what to do. So I want to start asking you, 
how can we take this this situation, this this these difficulties that we're going through right now, to help leaders see the opportunity of embracing change and utilizing it to propel their organizations forward? Yeah, that is a great question. I think one of the key points in being able to make use of a crisis situation for growth is first really acknowledging that change is inevitable and that it's not a sign that you did anything wrong. I think this pandemic has been an excellent example of the need for change that could never have been predicted. Mm -hmm. And so once leaders can first sort of swallow that reality, then they can start moving into the issue of what is it that we've been doing that still makes sense what were we doing that never really made sense, but it was too much trouble to edit out of the system? And what do we need to do differently? So uh, middle thing first, what is it we were doing that never really made sense, but it was too much trouble to remove? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the customers and organizations I'm working with are asking, how do we deal with this overwork? How do we deal with all these people suddenly having to do so many different things in less than optimal circumstances? And I think the first thing they have to ask themselves is how much of it needed to get done in the first place. A lot of them are finding their communications channels were messy and they hadn't ever stopped to clean those up. They were too focused on uh, low value tasks that just mm -hmm. ate up people's time. And so stepping back, they're like, it's really clear we should be cutting these things. And now we have a motivation to invest the time to reduce those um, time suck activities and clean up the way we did things to free up more bandwidth to do what's really important. Um, and then I think really thinking about what it means to be in a situation that's going through a lot of change yeah. and how dynamic is your organization naturally and how much should it really be? Some of our customers, their business is pretty much the same. Maybe they've gotten more because they do packaging and now everyone's using remote mailing stuff. So there's a lot of doing more of the same better. And for others, it's very much, this is a brand new world and how do we adapt to it and find the niche we're best prepared to serve in? Absolutely. And one thing, Kenneth, that I, that I see out in, in, the, in the business world right now is this tension between trying to do things differently, whether it is your, your core products, but trying to deliver them or trying to serve your clients in a different way that, of course, responds respond to the demands of, of what, what's going on right now. But I also see some other businesses like doubling down in the same way they were doing things because they were thinking, this is how we were making money and let's not do anything differently. Let's just focus on, on, on doing, you know, not moving too many things around, mm -hmm. just, just doing the same thing. And, and that is concerning because whether they survive this crisis doing the same thing that they have been doing before, just that doesn't mean that they will continue to survive the crisis that we will be facing in the future. And, and I love that you're asking the question of what are the things that are adding value in our organization? What are the things that we had an idea that we needed to stop doing, but for some reason we never, uh, you know, took the, take the, took the opportunity or, or made the decision to actually, you know, get rid of them. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I look at a lot of things through the lens of psychology and process. And what is it that keeps us from having better process in our organizations? So for a lot of these change situations, there's just 
the desire to not look like you didn't know what you were doing for all that time. There's all the political games that get played and just asking the hard question of how do you know this is working reveals how very often people don't have any metrics. They don't have any real concrete way to evaluate success. Um, that's really apparent when people turn to me and say, how do I know if my employees are being productive in this remote environment? And I have to respond, how did you know they were productive when they weren't working remotely? And nine out of 10 times, they don't have a concrete way of doing that. And so I think that whether or not you are doubling down or really innovating should be driven by some sort of measure of success that allows you to say, no, our business hasn't changed. Um, what we do is still as important now and will always be important. The power company needs to generate electricity. That's not going anywhere. However, like, restaurants have to radically rethink how they function in an environment where people can't go to your restaurant. So if you've invested in the space over delivery, this is a really hard time and what are you gonna do differently? So I really think that um, so much of this comes down to people being able to put their egos to the side mm -hmm. and say, it's not about me, it's about this equation of inputs to outputs to success. And the best vision of me is the person who can adapt to when things change, not the person who can force continuity through a crisis. Absolutely. I'm going to use this as a segue, actually. You're talking about measuring in, in this environment, productivity, performance, and many another set of, of, of important data that companies want to know about. What do you think has been the evolution of metrics over the past few months? Things that people were measuring before and they were helping them make decisions, but they had to evolve in those metrics and now start measuring something different for whatever makes sense to them. So what, what have you seen in this evolution of, of uh, metrics, the way to measure those, uh, those uh, the data points and whatnot? Yeah, I think a lot of people are really thinking about what were the metrics they needed and were the ones they were collecting good I, I, yeah. or good for other purposes. So um, there's a lot of desire to connect things and see relationships and then realizing that what they've been collecting was really good for only the specific thing they did it for. And the moment they try to apply it more broadly that you know, they don't have enough data, it's not um, detailed enough, or there's just holes in it that make it not usable for the bigger purposes that they start thinking about. So I think the, the leading ones uh, in the metrics area kind of step outside the question of what's happening right now, because that's why their data wasn't really good in the first mm -hmm. place. And think, what is good data, period? Because that usually allows for a variety of situations. And if your business is likely to be affected by you know, change of any kind, having data that's designed to connect to other pieces of data and not just solve this problem in front of you right now uh, will set you up to be adaptive and really think about uh, how do we answer new questions, not just the ones we had to talk about in that last uh, CEO meeting. Absolutely, and, and that the, the hope is that in leveraging this more versatile kind of uh, data, you can respond some of the questions that will help you remain business going forward. And 
Um, you know, I think in March, we, a lot of us were dealing with, okay, what do we do now, <laughs> right? We gotta, we, you know, we are in lockdown. We gotta send our people to work from home. How, how do we do that? And there was a lot of scrambling ideas and resources to make that happen. But now, seven months later, we are in a time where companies know that the likelihood of a second wave of COVID-19 impacting organizations is extremely high. And therefore now they, if they did what you are saying, which is collecting the data that allowed them to look forward into the future, hopefully now they are harvesting some of that information and, and, and making decisions accordingly, right? That's, that's a hope that they are doing that to, to have them look forward. Uh, what, what trends are you seeing out there in the world of culture and employee experience? So I think the biggest one that was a big surprise was seeing engagement spike. Mm -hmm. um, organizations were suddenly seeing increased engagement scores and going, what's, what's going on? Things are rough. Why, why aren't people saying they're not happy? It's a good reminder that engagement and happiness are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that when you're seeing spiking engagement in difficult situations, it usually means first that people are recommitting to their jobs, possibly because they don't uh, see another job as their next most likely thing, but being unemployed as their next most likely thing. So they're um, much more devoted to trying to stay at their organization, make it successful. I think we also saw something really unique in this moment where a lot of leaders stepped up and made changes in the organizations that we work with and employees um, were moved by that. And so quality of leadership, the being accessible, being transparent and being able to set a sense of stability has been really powerful for employees in terms of whether or not they think their organization has managed COVID-19 really well. Um, those are three of the top five drivers in um, our surveys around responding to COVID-19 effectively. Uh, all of this I do say comes with a potential downside. So the research most relevant that we've been looking at has suggested that in moments of natural disaster or prolonged stress, there is a depletion period that follows after this heroic spike. And that uh, a number of the CHROs that I've been speaking to have been saying they're seeing the early signs of it with um, leaders misinterpreting the engagement spike as an opportunity to get more out of people rather than being excited that they're sustaining through something really difficult. And so with, uh, especially in the Northern hemisphere for our customers whose employees are have kids going back to school who are facing winter, perhaps alone, the spike may turn into uh, a downward period, especially around uh, well-being related items and people's ability to do more uh, because eventually you just run out of adrenaline. This is so, this is so important what, that, that you're bringing that to the table because um, out of all the interviews that I have done with uh, HR leaders and, and talking about what's happening and how to prepare going forward, there are a couple of things that are coming up more and more often. One of them, of course, is taking care of people's mental uh, well-being, mental health, and well-being and wellness in general. And the other thing, of course, is embedding or building in or finding ways to teach more and more resiliency in the organization, considering that we are no, 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 nowhere near the end of this pandemic. And we may be going through some difficulties going forward that 
will continue to bring people down if they don't see, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel or a way out of this, this crisis. So um, the, the, the CHROs that you are speaking to, uh, you know, and, and that they are sort of talking about this, what are they doing to, um, to address this potential challenge going forward? Saying, you know, I know there's a spiking engagement right now, but in six months from now, when we are in a dip, uh, you know, these are the things that we're preparing, you know, for that, uh, for that kind of um, uh, uh, thing happening in the organization. So what are they doing? Honestly, some of them are struggling just to get that message across to leadership. Wow. Um, it is a sobering thought that that spike could turn into a dip. And, and so really making that clear is sort of the first thing that some of them are doing to make sure that they can deal with it effectively. Others are really focusing on some of that job design stuff that I was mentioning earlier, thinking about what can we drop so that you are able to um, focus your energies on what's important rather than wasting it on what isn't. Mm -hmm. I think resilience is one of those places that I, I kind of have a mixed feeling about. Um, half that conversation totally makes sense to me. People do need uh, training and resources on how to effectively manage emotions and uh, cognition during challenge. Not everybody gets practice in coaching and mentoring on that. So there's real value to that. But I also think there's a point where the organization needs to stop and go, what can we do to reduce the resilience demand so that we're not asking people to be superhuman yeah. in order to do our day-to-day -day work? Um, because the pandemic isn't normal. And what, what scares me is when people start thinking, well, this is the new normal, so you're back to your old metrics. And it's like, no, no, that's not gonna really work. Um, you may have some employees who can handle this level of isolation, overwork, sadness, anxiety about COVID and everything that's happening around it, but the majority are just not going to live up to that standard. And so it's important to really ask yourself, what do you really need? And yeah. what is it you can let go of for the time being? Um, last thing I'll say on that is uh, looking back at past moments of rallying around the company. So the economic downturns around the recession, people had very similar reactions of throwing themselves into their work. Company really relies on them to do double duty. And then the company never steps it back. And so yeah. they, we end up with the overwork plagues that people talk about in the media because of these moments of giving 110% and then moving the expectation to 110% rather than 100%. Wow, that is, uh, that is such a powerful message, I think, for HR leaders and HR professionals to find a way to tune the, the, the work load and you know, focus on priorities and making sure they are you know, uh, 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 having the, the, the conversations with their teams to make sure that they are doing okay, that all these extra demands plus, you know, all that's happening around them is not breaking them to, to you know, slowly breaking them to a point where, you know, um, the consequences for their health, for their family, uh, for work will be uh, much more difficult to manage than if they had been managed from the beginning. So, yeah. So I think this is such an important uh, conversation, Kenneth, and I, and I appreciate that you're bringing this up. Now, you are describing also uh, one, one kind of leader 
uh, whether HR or business leader that is um, attuned to what's happening with their people. And I think part of what's going to happen during and after this crisis is that a new kind of leadership or leader will emerge and people that were either leveraging on all those old metrics or had old ways of leading or managing processes, they will probably, you know, personally and professionally go out of business, right? Because nobody would want to have somebody like that in their work. So let me ask you this. When, when you think about all these conversations that you've had, what are the qualities, what are the, the characteristics of those leaders that you think are going to be succeeding in their role as a leader and helping their companies succeed as we go through this pandemic and going forward? So two things pop to mind immediately. The first is emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, we come from, at least in Western societies, cultures that say work and personal life are supposed to be separate. You're not supposed to talk about those things. The reality is the entire personal sphere has collapsed simultaneous to the professional sphere. And so telling people to not address those things and not bring them up is just not reasonable. And so the leaders who are able to listen to what people are experiencing uh, and help them deal with that, not necessarily fix it. I think that's a mistake that a lot of leaders make that they're supposed to be superheroes and fix the problem when really what they're supposed to do is listen to people, what they're feeling, help them process those emotions and then find the most reasonable way to deal even if they can't make the problem go away. Mm. Those are gonna be leaders that are gonna hold their teams together and be very effective. Uh, the second piece that I think is really essential is comfort with transparency. So in times of dramatic change, there is a fear of admitting to weakness or being seen as not knowing what to do. But the reality is it's dramatic change. No one knows what to do. And so you're experimenting, you're figuring it out. And if you're so busy hiding information to make sure you don't look bad, you can't collectively learn from one another, from the situation. You can't adapt quickly because you're, you're too busy trying to make sure whatever you did looks good, then moving on to the right thing to do and learning from uh, potential failures. And so I think really being comfortable with transparency and learning faster through feedback, which is actually a, a culture amp uh, value, is going to be really essential to organizations and leaders who want to be able to carry their organizations and be hyper successful in this moment in time. This is a very powerful element for the, or, or, or trait for those leaders that are gonna be successful going forward. One thing that I think all of us went through at the very beginning of the lockdown here in the United States and probably people in other countries as well, is that a number of questions came up to the, to, to the organization's table, if you will, and those, the leaders of those organizations didn't have the answer uh, to those questions because they haven't been here. You know, they haven't been through anything like this before. And I find really interesting that some of them very transparently, but also very vulnerably, you know, came forward and said, I have no idea what to do. You know, as simple as that, you know, we have no idea what to do. Let's tap in the, you know, onto the collective talents and power of our people to try to respond to this question, which is the question that will help us sustain business going forward. And, and I think that is so powerful, Kenneth, that you mentioned that because this, one of the silver linings to me or the gifts out of this crisis is leaders showing themselves more vulnerably, more human, not as the superhuman that has to have all the answers to all the questions, but rather the person that is rallying everybody together around the challenges and how to process 
all the potential solutions for the challenge from their people. So that that's very powerful. Yeah. Now, the, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, um, focusing on process over answer is also really important yeah. in situations where things are just inherently ambiguous. Uh, you can get people to a sense of stability if you were walking them through, this is how we're going to make decisions when the necessary data comes in. It just doesn't hear yet. Yeah. Um, you don't necessarily just have to speak to, here is the decision. You don't have to think about how we made it. Yeah, that's fantastic because, well, in periods of craziness and crisis like this, people need some anchors. And like you said before, all of their anchors have been broken and, you know, family and work and everything that provided some level of stability. Now it's, 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 you know, it's, it's shaken up. So, so this idea of providing some, some level of stability via the description of a process rather than the answers, I think it's, it's powerful. Now the flip side of the question that I asked before about the the, the, the traits of the leaders that are going to be successful in the future. The, the flip side of that is the organizations that are going to remain successful going forward. So when you imagine the organization that survived the crisis, but also grew and became better, what, what, what do you imagine? What, what do you think those organizations look like? So that, and I ask, I ask you this question because I always like to imagine what can be so that we can start building it from today. <laughs> Absolutely. Honestly, I think that is the key point is that they're imagining a future and not constantly looking back to the past. Mm -hmm. They're the ability to say, what is the problem that our company solves? How is that problem evolving? What do we do in order to address that problem is what was going to make a difference because then it's really easy to just say, oh, we, we change our product. We change our services. We change. If your focus is on this is the thing that we do and that thing is no longer valuable, then you spend all your time trying to hunt down shrinking markets, trying to identify like where is the spot where I can, my one trick pony is still fresh and new. And that I think is the trap that destroys an organization and creates a lot of resentment and disengagement from employees who are probably saying like, we see the writing on the wall, like, we're talking to customers, we're living in the world, maybe we use our product and this isn't working anymore. Like, can we just deal with that? Um, and so I think that just takes us back to, again, the leaders who can be transparent, who can admit what isn't working and just say, change is inevitable. How are we gonna change? This is cool and exciting. Those are the ones that move forward, whether they've been doing that for 50 years or you know, five. Absolutely. And in the case of, of leaders, I, I, I always talk about a couple of traits uh, and, and they may sound a little you know, fluffy, but one of them is leaders that have the ability to see the invisible and to believe the unbelievable. Those are the two things. And to me, what that means is that sometimes you get people within a company telling the leaders, look how the trends are changing, look how the market is changing. We won't be able to put this product out there in the next five years or three years or two years because things are changing and we got to change. Otherwise, we're going to go out of business. So to me, leaders that are going to be successful and organizations that are going to be successful are those that have the ability to say, I believe in that. I, I, I think it's unbelievable. I, I, it's hard for me to think that our core business unit or, or line of business will, will not exist anymore in the next two, three, four, five years but I believe it. And I prefer to start getting ready for that than to find myself three years from now with you know the water right up to my neck where I cannot have any room to breathe uh, anymore. So 
So I think this is powerful, this idea of, you know, stop looking at the things that, you know, are not working now or will not work in the near future and start unveiling the new things that can be, uh, you know, uh, powerful for the organization to to continue to operate. I think that's a that's an incredible thought. Uh, so can, can I add one thing? Can I add one thing to what you're saying? You can absolutely. Um, I would add to uh, believing the unbelievable, the ability to identify when you would change your mind. Hey, there you go. Yeah, because I think that is the the trap that we tell entrepreneurs and leaders: like, believe in yourself, trust your gut, do this thing. Totally true. But what is the moment when you say, ah, the world is actually different than I imagine. What's my new unbelievable belief that I'm going to use to drive us to the next future? And I think the two of those together is unbeatable. I, I, I love that. And it's so important because sometimes you do have leaders that they, they, they are visionary and they think, well, this is how the market is going to change in the next few years, but they never make the decision to to prepare their people and their organization for that new reality that they know it's going to happen. And, and, you know, with the pandemic, we have, we have a great example, you know, people, leaders downplaying the consequences of the pandemic, instead of saying, you know, this will impact our country and our economy in this way. I don't want to panic anybody, but I got to get them ready and yeah. getting, getting them ready means that I got to change my mind about how our country is operating today. And I start telling schools and bars and, you know, different things. Hey guys, you're going to have to start operating with online delivery um, and pickup delivery and those kind of things. Yep. You may not be ready for that, but that's what's going to happen in the next few months. So I don't want to get too political, of course, but I think that's a, that's a little bit of the direction of, you know, putting an example of, of what uh, changing our minds uh, could look like. So, so Kenneth, as we wrap up this conversation, fantastic chat uh, with you. I want to ask you specifically around this idea of, of becoming more transparent and embracing more emotional intelligence as uh, a successful trait for a leader of the future. Every journey of change and transformation for everybody and every organization begins somewhere. There's always a first step in, in any process. What would you say could be the first step for any leader who wants to embrace these traits? What, where could they begin this journey if they haven't already started their journey? So I think the simplest thing they can do just sitting at home is ask themselves what they're afraid of. Uh, I think for a lot of people, the idea of being straightforward with themselves about what their fears are is the first step to growth, to fixing all the things that they might be weak on, because that's what leads you to hide. That's what leads you to discount what someone else is telling you or their feelings, because it either brings up an emotion you're not ready to, to deal with, or it raises a question about your own confidence. And I think if we really emphasize for ourselves that what we want is to learn and to grow first and that performance and uh, metrics will follow from expertise, we're guaranteed success. If we focus on metrics and performance first, then we, are really, we really struggle to adapt and um, become what we need to be as the situation changes because we never really understood why we were successful in the first place. Yeah. We just knew what we were trained to do and we did it. So once you can address what those fears are, they're often not as horrible or they're really manageable. And that allows you to speak more freely to your people, to listen to them more openly without letting um, your own doubts get in the way. Absolutely. And even 
I, I, I would, I would love to add this, even if those fears were horrible and awful, at least you are aware of them. And yes. it gives you an opportunity to say, I prefer to address them right now than finding myself in a place where my fears become true. And I never prepared. I never got ready for, for, for this. And I, and I think that's such a powerful and moving, you know, mental, uh, you know, awareness, piece of awareness that, that you have and that you need to have in order to, to really, you know, push yourself to change and, and, and start doing things differently. So, so can I thank you so much for being with me in this incredible conversation I had learned a lot, lot of notes. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you, everybody. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Hacking Nature podcast. See you all soon. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.